I want to talk now about cultivating a shared vision. What characterizes a vision? A true vision focuses on the future. I do a lot of traveling on airplanes. I see many airports. If I were getting onto a plane one time, and I, I heard the flight attendant talking to the pilot, and this flight attendant says to the pilot, where are we going today? I would start to get a little nervous. But if I heard the pilot reply, I don't know, where would you like to go today? <laughs> then I would get very nervous. It is the job of a leader to say, here is where we are going. Now, I don't say that to say that we dictate to them where we are going, but the leader has the responsibility to paint a picture of the future and to provide leadership to the people so that they can, along with the leader, figure out where it is God wants them to go. So we have to take a look at what the long range looks like. Have you ever tried to do this as a, as a kid, where you tried to walk in a real straight line through the snow? How many have tried to do that? And now, as a kid, I tried that once, and I looked right down here, and I very carefully put one foot after the other. And when I got across the field, I looked back, and there was this huge, how do you walk straight? <clears throat> you need to keep your eye on the horizon, and pick out a point that's way down there, and then keep your eyes on that point, and then walk straight toward it. Without a clear picture of the future, you're not going to be able to walk in a straight path. So it's a picture of the future. Secondly, true vision catches a glimpse of reality from God's perspective. Remember um, Elisha and how he was frustrating the king of Aram's uh, battle plans? They would make their secret strategies and figure out what they were going to do. Then God would speak to Elisha and tell him what the guy's going to do. He'd go tell the king and they'd be prepared. It was uh, most infuriating. And he found out that Elisha was the one that was doing the problem. So he sent all of his army to surround Elisha's house. And one morning, Elisha's servant got up and opened up the windows and looked outside. And he saw all these people, these armies around him. And he's going, my goodness, we're in trouble. And he said, Master, we're surrounded. Elisha glances out the window. And he says, ah, don't worry about it. Those that are with us are more than those that are with them. Have you ever pictured what the servant did next? He was thinking that Elisha flipped his wig. <laughs> now, we don't know if Elisha wore a wig, but we do know he was bald, scripturally speaking. Um, and then Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And then the servant's eyes were open, and he saw the heavenly armies surrounding, vastly outnumbering this little puny army that was out there. We would say the servant had a vision. The servant would say, for a moment there, I saw a glimpse of reality. Part of the process of gaining vision is to see things from God's perspective, to see things as God sees them from his vantage point. So we can see what it is that God intends to do. You know, every place that I go, I always learn stuff. When I was in traveling in Japan one time, I ran across a, a guy named Pastor Sato. I'm in describing how the Lord gave him vision for his church. And he was making the point that one of the ways to get a clear vision is to get a spiritual understanding of the meaning of your past. 
Now that seemed a little strange to me. I said, well, could you please explain? And he said, well, as I began to pray about what God would want our church to become and where he would want our church to go, I asked the Lord to give me understanding. And as I began to pray, I began to reflect upon the history of our church. And I began to reflect upon our situation. He comes from a place in Japan that is, is in a part that is where the population is declining. His place where he is is largely a fishing village. It is not well respected in Japanese, in Japanese society. And as he reflected on it, he realized that his town was very similar to Galilee, a place that was not too well respected, where fishing was one of the primary businesses. And he thought, that's interesting. Then he realized that his church was founded by a missionary after World War II. And as he began to pray and reflect upon this, he realized what the vision for his church was. His vision statement is this, from Galilee to the world. So that from this little respected place in Japan, very similar to Galilee, God wants to raise up a missions movement that will first evangelize in their region, then in Japan, and missionaries to be sent to other places in the world. And his church is growing and starting other churches that are growing in an area where they say it cannot be done. And they are raising up and sending out missionaries to other parts. And he made the point that says you must understand your past from God's perspective. And sometimes that can give you clues as to what God might be calling you to in the future. I thought that was a very fascinating concept. What's interesting to me is in my consulting work, I often work with various denominational groups. And whenever I go in to consult with a denominational group, I, I almost always will study their history and study what happened in the early days when this new movement was getting started. What were their core values? What made their ministries unique? What was the unique expression? And then when you go in to consult with them, without exception, some of their major problems are the result that they have gotten away from what it was God originally was doing in their midst. It's a fascinating concept to think about. And so sometimes the thing that you want to change to is not something that's new. Far from it, it's actually something that is quite old. And in a situation where you have to face a lot of traditionalism, go study the history of your movement back when it was vital, alive, and winning people to Jesus. And identify what were the core values of operation at that point. And when you begin to cultivate a picture for the future, sometimes you can go back to the vitality of the past. It's really biblical. And number two, it's thoroughly consistent with our heritage. So you can out-traditional the traditionalists. You understand what I'm talking about? For those of you that makes some sense and is useful, you can have it. For those that does, don't understand what I just said, forget it. I'll try and say something else useful today. <laughs> Reflect and pray on these things. I think it might be a, of use. The only time it's not of use is if your church history has never had a period when it was vital and winning people to Christ and doing, doing what God wants them to do. And if that's the case, then, then everything I've said is probably irrelevant. Thirdly, true vision flows out of God's redemptive purposes. And I believe that has to do with Matthew chapter 28. We see the same thing reinforced in Luke chapter 24. We see it summarized in the very last words that Jesus spoke in Acts chapter 1. Someone said once, 
that last words are lasting words. And so as Jesus knew that he was going to go to heaven soon, he had the privilege of knowing when he was going to be leaving. So you would suppose that the last words that he shared with his disciples would be sort of the, the, the key points for them to keep in mind. And as you look at those last words, you see two things that come through very clearly in all three passages. Number one, he reminded them of their mission to make disciples, to preach the gospel, to be witnesses. Secondly, he promised them spiritual empowerment. In Matthew chapter 28, I will be with you always. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that same Jesus that promised his personal presence is the Jesus that said, I will build my church and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. In Luke chapter 24, he said, wait in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's interesting that in the very last words of Jesus, those were the two things that he spoke about the most. Whatever God is calling our church to be and to do, it must be consistent with God's redemptive purposes. I summarize that by saying it it must make more and better disciples. And it will be infused with the energy that comes from God himself to accomplish the purposes that God intends. Now, 